0: Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch.
1: Welcome to the marketer's journey today. Ron avrahami the CMO of apps flyer joins me and I'll be honest. I didn't know what to expect coming into this episode. I thought someone who's been with a company for over eight years. Are they super comfortable? Is that good? Is that bad as a guess. And what Ron hit on with me is just being comfortable. Isn't a bad thing. As long as you're learning, as long as you're challenging yourself. And one of the themes of this episode is the need to reinvent yourself, to reinvent who you are as a marketer. And ultimately, as we weave into the second half of our conversation, to reinvent your strategy at times, because we hit a lot on events. And a lot of us have heard about events of the past and the challenges of COVID on those event strategies. But Ron gives his advice on how they adapted, but also how you have to adapt yet again. Now that we can get back in front of people and people's crave to have those experiences, to have those interactions, what does that mean for you as a marketing team? Now, Player is a large organization. This is a company with over 20 offices, has raised over $300 million in funding, but more importantly is hitting over $300 million in ARR. So there's so much you can learn in terms of the scale of this organization and the way Ron has continued to reinvent. Here's our chat. i am so happy that you are here this is going to be a great episode i'm really interested about your path because a lot of cmos kind of make that jump to become a cmo to earn that opportunity but you have been with this company for eight nine years now how did they believe in you and how did you believe in them how did that story come down it's it's a good
2: question because um you know eight years ago eight. Plus years ago, I was a 29 entrepreneur uh, that sold a startup I founded when I was 25 uh, for Google. And I was offered to, to join Google. Uh, and I said, I don't want to join this like, big company at a, such a young age. I, you know, I, I want to eat up the world. And then I met with a, with a young CEO uh, with a crazy vision that inspired me and said, all right, this right, you know, I'm going to put my bets on this one. Joined as the first marketer uh, for Fire back in 2014. And, uh, and yeah, just insane journey. The How did I become a CMO? I saw myself as a CMO or I think even before I was a CMO. Because I think a CMO, what it, you know what? Actually, a funny story. When I was promoted to CMO from a VP marketing, I didn't, I didn't want to get the title. Cause I had this inception of um, you know, the, the chief marketing officer is like this, this old guy that is completely detached from what you know the team is actually doing and the market is actually, you know, what's really happening in the marketing and I had all of that type of inception um that I was a little bit reluctant to 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 take on that title. I think what really stuck through uh throughout the years is The trust and openness that I had with both, you know, my boss, the CEO, and my peers, Um, but I don't really see the position, the core of the position, of mine change from being, you know, leading a small team to leading a big team. Of course, the scale is different, the risk is higher, you know, the stakes are higher, but the core elements of what a CMO or a head of marketing or a VP marketing need to do are the same. And it really depends on your on your objectives.
1: Interesting. I I love that word trust that that you spoke to in terms of with your CEO, your peers, probably the board at, at some point. And you know, you mentioned the other element here being scale. And and just to give listeners some context, the scale of AppsFlyer is has really been exciting to watch. I mean, this is a company that surpassed three hundred million in ARR. You've got offices all over the world. I think in twenty plus locations uh you got 1500 employees how many of those are marketers today versus as you said you were marketer number 1
2: so we're a little bit over 100 marketers uh globally i think it it took us many many years and many many mistakes to you know to come to the org structure if you may call it uh uh that we have right now and then we actually and we build that based, eventually, on our objectives, uh, and we have three objectives in marketing at AppLar, which I'm, I'm so uh, bought into that I honestly believe that any B2B marketing team has to have those three types of objectives. We have uh, revenue marketing, everything about uh, generating pipeline, we have brand objective, and we have enablement objectives. And we build our, also our teams based on those three objectives. So we're more a little bit more than hundred now. Right now, I think in more than fifteen locations worldwide.
1: And and for each of those objectives, do you essentially have a leader when you talk about structure and getting to this structure that's worked?
2: Ah uh, yes, yes we have. So so the way that we operate because I think a very unique thing about uh, um, apps are Marketing is is our globalization aspect. Uh, we go to marketing more than 44 countries right now, like active go-to-market strategies in 44 countries. Um, so, so that aspect, you know, it's like a blessing and a curse, right? Because uh, on one side, it's super interesting. It's diverse. The way you, you do marketing in Brazil is different than what you do in Japan and in India and in North America and in Europe. But it, it's also very business healthy, obviously, especially when climate change and, and there's a lot of macro economy and, and geopolitical things happening in the world. But it also creates a lot of um, operational challenges, right? So I think our structure and scale is a little bit different than, than than most companies I know, at least. The way that we structure is we have two sides of marketing. We have corporate marketing, uh, which sits here in Israel, uh, and we have our regional marketing teams, uh, which seats in the regions, and eventually, yes, in an ideal, perfect, like you know, full head count type of uh, snapshot, which never happens because that's just life. Uh, we have a leader for each of those regions and objectives.
1: Interesting, interesting, and and just at a high level with objectives, is is this tied to an overall company wide OKR style? goal setting or is this more centralized within marketing specifically? The short answer is
2: no. Uh, we don't operate with like a global OKR structure. Uh, we want to. It's it's a process. It's a, it's a big process to implement something like that because in order to, I'm actually a big advocate of OKRs um, and we try that in marketing. But in order for that to really succeed, every single person in the company needs to be like on board for that, top down, bottom up. Um, And we'll we'll get there, but but these objectives, of course, are eventually uh, part of the overall company strategy and and overall objectives.
1: Gotcha. So I want to come back to something you said and how you you just spoke to this idea that we're going to get there. It's a continual evolution in terms of process and strategy and objectives. In so many companies I feel like when we get to a point where we where we feel it's broken the answer is fire the coach, right? New CMO, we need to change it up. You know, I I'm looking at your LinkedIn on the side here and and you know, you joke about yourself being potentially an all-star NBA player. You know, had you gone that route, you know, you'd probably have had at least three different coaches over an 8-9 yeah. year Tenure as a player on a team, how has that trust that you spoke about earlier allowed you to reset? who pushes for that reset? Is that you pushing for that reset? Is it your CEO? How do you determine when it's time to make one of these bigger organizational changes
2: It's a very good and, 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 and real question, right I think you know there's this thing about the the word or the phrase um, comfort zone. Right? Usually it's being said in a negative way, right? Get outside of the comfort zone, You know, think different, uh, challenge yourself. But I think that you know, when you think about the word comfort zone, the, the essence of it is, is comfort, is comfortable. I don't know about you, but I, I like that I'm comfortable. Now, the sweet spot is if you're in your comfort zone, but you still grow, learn, you feel challenged, you learn something new, if the answer for all of these are yes, then, then you're probably in a good place. Now, how do you do that? That's, it, it's tough and, and it's not always easy, right? You ask yourself, can I replicate this uh, somewhere else? I think it's a very honest question that, that, not just marketers that people need to ask about after a, a certain amount of time. But when you answer yourself, am I still excited about what I do? Do I still enjoy what I, what I do? Uh, do I grow and do I learn? If the answer is yes, then keep on doing that. And I think I personally try to sort of reinvent myself, um, ideally once a year, part of my New Year's uh, resolution. Um, and it can be in different areas, by the way, not just professional, because even if you do something on a personal level and it inspires you or or pushes you to do something that you don't used to do, that also can affect Yourself as a marketer, as a you know, as a manager, as a business leader. Uh, so I think all of those components are important for your growth as as a leader.
1: Can you, Can you give an example of that reinvention of yourself? What is What is something you've invested in yourself, or where your teams come in that next year, and said it runs change in some sort of material way? Yeah, uh, good question. I think a couple of years ago, when we
2: have grown. It was a year that we've grown significantly, both in all types of metrics. It was pre-COVID, and, and pre-COVID is different days, uh, if we all recall those. I felt like we grew too fast without, you know, I'll tell the background story, is that when we started After and when I joined the company pretty early on, we never stopped and asked ourselves, or I never stopped and asked myself, you know, or Googled, like, how to run a B2B marketing team, Right. Right. How to build B2B marketing strategy. I, I didn't do that. I, I just went right in, didn't do the basics, and our slogan in those days were like be everywhere. That, that's the product market fit was insane, and we just had to execute. And what I found out years later is that uh we had to go back to basics. The basics of how you you know start a new job running marketing, you know, what do you do is build all the infrastructures, all the reporting, all the cadences. And 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 that's what we decided to do that. I think it was like two quarters that we went back to basics uh, and and focused on that. And that felt rejuvenating because it's like, oh, we can run more efficiently. We can increase our scale, increase our productivity. That's cool. So even something... Very technical, like like going back to basics is something that can can really reinvent yourself and the team.
1: I love that, really simple, but also, as you said, comfortable uh, for someone to, to explore in that way. Ron, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll get a little bit more into your go-to-market strategy here on The Marketer's Journey.
0: Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences.
1: This idea of comfort zone is actually really interesting. It it had me thinking after we reported together that when someone starts an organization, we always say we've got to give them time to get comfortable. We can't expect too much from them in the first weeks. But then later on, we start to say, well, this person seems too comfortable. So which one is it? And I think to Ron's point, the idea here is to get someone comfortable, but then continue to push them. So that that comfort level allows for open dialogue and allows them to push themselves, to take on new challenges, to reinvent themselves, to always be one step ahead of where they maybe are today. And it's really hard for us to do that in the first weeks of our employment. So what we need to do is build that comfort zone and then create an environment where we push. you and I were chatting earlier and both of us love events or maybe loved events, used events heavily. How has the last number of years affected that part of your go-to-market strategy? In short, it f***ed <laughs> us up, but, <laughs> but it, it, it also taught
2: us a lot of very, very important, you know what, even psychological lessons. Because what is an event, right? A lot of people look at event as a, as a marketing channel. It, it really isn't. It's um, a good one, at least, is a magical place where people meet, interact, bond, build relationships. It's the, the magic of, of human nature, right? And for us, pre-COVID, we were exceptional on that. Like, if we would die pre-COVID this would be written on our stone. Like these guys were f-ing good at events. I love it. And, and all of a sudden, what like the February, 2020, I really remember actually the day. So we, one of our biggest shows uh, we have, we can talk about it later. We have our own like event brand uh, globally called mama. But one of our biggest like trade shows was uh, mobile world, world Congress, MWC in Barcelona uh, every year in February. And I remember I had to make, um, you know, things started rumoring up in February about, you know, this virus and lockdowns and like weird shit that happened. And uh, we had to make a very weird decision to pull out of, of a very expensive key event of ours in our event strategy in Barcelona in, in February. And I remember like making the call of, of canceling that and like people reacted Weird, that was before the show got canceled, and we actually lost that money, Uh, and that was tough. And I think, eventually, what we learned from this is, first of all, that and and we see this now, right? We see this. I don't know if we can say post COVID. Let's let's just call it post COVID. I feel like it's post COVID. It's like a champagne that is being shaking, like a champagne bottle that is being shaken for two years, three and a half years and now you pop up the lid and it's like and it explodes people just want to meet up because the fatigue that people had of sitting in their home you know or whatever they they, they may be opening up their zoom opening up a webinar software listening to content trying to pretty in a very you know pretty lame effort of networking with virtual booths and, and all that stuff people are you know Are sick of it. And and I ask, you know, colleagues or friends when like, oh, you guys need to do more webinars. I like ask them, when was the last time you joined a webinar just to learn something or to, to network with someone? So shut up. So I think events are very much back. It's going to be a big core pillar
1: of our strategy in 2023. And I'm very, very happy that they're back. I don't know about you let me ask you a, a tough question, though, because I, I've been asked this by my board. you know. And, and at times, as much as we knew that attribution was there at an event, sometimes it's harder to, to show versus a traditional marketing channel or tr- a digital marketing channel, I'm going to say. And one of the things that a lot of marketers have told me is they're excited to be back at events, especially those attending are excited to be back. But there's not as many people attending as of yet. So. Are you reducing your spend? Are you reducing your spend for events to compensate for less attendees or to your point are you still going to focus on killing it which means a heavy investment? It's a it's a tough balance. It's it's a tough
2: balance, but I think what we have found out is that it's not about the size and it's not about the scale, it's about the quality um and the impact that eventually you make with your target audience, right? And a, you know, think about it, the level of investment, uh, you as a marketer needs to invest in a, even a roadshow of, you know, roundtable type of events or VAP dinner type of events or, you know, small afternoon meetup, right? The experience and the touch point you can make with your prospects and customers in a in an afternoon meetup, if it's being curated very well. Eventually, it's about the content that you create for the event. It's about the connections. It's about the experience. If you nail all of these, it's not about the the scale or the size or about the cost. You can do something super efficient and still nail it. And we've seen this actually in a couple of places that the large old school trade shows... I really do believe that they need to th- rethink themselves.
1: Agreed. Let me ask you this question. If, if we go back to the first part of our conversation today, you told me there's three buckets of objectives. You have revenue, brand, and enablement. When you think of these events, the play around events, what is the primary objective is this a revenue pipeline play or is this a brand play that later will help you with pipeline or is it enabling some of your customers out there? Like what is the primary driver of events? Perfect question.
2: Uh, it's a perfect question because we ask ourselves uh, that as well. And I think the answer lies that it's not all events are equal. And if you are able to focus your event, right, let, let's, let's not also call that event maybe because maybe event automatically puts you in the bucket of a conference, a trade show, because an event can be anything, right? Uh, but as long as you focus the type of event or a different types of event for different types of objectives, then you're, you're set up for success because the expectation is that there is an alignment between, you know, where you, let's call it, allocate that budget to. Is it a brand play? Is it a revenue play or a pipeline play? Is it an enablement play? to eventually the objective right so and there's no like silver bullet because a customer event right that you invite maybe 20 of your customers plus maybe 10 of prospects and maybe like five partners that's a good ratio for me eventually it contributes to all of those objectives it you know if you bring on 10 prospects that are engaged you put them up together with you know consultants or sellers or or marketers like myself you know that's that helps pipeline uh it helps when it comes to your brand because eventually those are going to be your next brand advocates and it also helps with with enablement of the team and of the customers so but as long as you're proportionate and you put the right objective and the right targets and the right budget in place then you're probably going to be set and this is what we actually try to do
1: so do you think i'm not going to say anyone has an advantage because as you said it's it's all about focus and what you're trying to get out of that event and who you who your buyer is but an interesting thing about apps flyer is that your ideal customer profile is quite broad you know someone now if i go to your website i can sign up for free in a freemium model but you have some massive brands who are using you that are without a doubt getting an enterprise white glove experience so do you approach these events generally trying to hit one of those segments? Or are there some events, like you said, that one in February, where you would have, in theory, tried to hit all segments at once?
2: Both, right? We have types of, of events, part of our event strategy that are more focused, made be vertically, not necessarily by the size of the company, right? Because eventually, you know, when you think about it, A, you know, a director of user acquisition at a, at a medium-sized gaming studio and I I don't know, a user acquisition or a growth marketing manager at an enterprise e-commerce company, they have a lot of similarities. So it doesn't necessarily mean like that, you know, that they're in two different types of, of companies. I think vertical is very important for us. How do we verticalize, segment our uh, events and our activities? Of course, we do this all over the world, so geographical is also important. You know, there's a trade-off eventually between the level of investment and the level of like personalized experience that you can get, right? So you always need to find that balance. Sometimes it's gonna be broad and you're gonna, you know, cast a wide net. And sometimes you have to be very, very focused on like, you know, with a spear and and to, to go after specific folks.
1: Really interesting. Ron, we're going to keep you around. We got one more segment with you after this quick break on the marketer's journey. Just to weigh in on the event debate, I couldn't agree more with Ron that events are going to come back and they're going to maybe be more important than ever. When we think about it, we've moved from a world where many of us gather in person in our offices to embracing remote. We've moved from an environment where we go visit our customers on the regular. And now events are, as Ron said, an opportunity to bring people together and create an experience. Now that doesn't mean that we can use the same tactics and the same cost base for events as we had in the past. It may take time to get back to the levels of where attendance was with events. But that means if we create a much more targeted event strategy and really give thought to who we're trying to engage and how we bring them together, we can create something that's just as intimate as those gatherings in offices, out at customers' offices, whatever it might be. That is the opportunity for the events of the future. Ron, this has been an amazing, I'm going to call it no BS episode <laughs> together. Uh, really got to understand how you became a CMO, how you stayed connected to the team. I want your perspective on some tough questions. And the first one for you is thinking about that next CMO. To become a CMO today, do you think you got to go really deep in an area of marketing or is it more about your breadth?
2: I would go with the former. Uh, so go deep. And make sure that, that wherever you go deep, is, it has a, a seat at the table, which means pipeline revenue.
1: I like that. I like that seat at the table. It's, it's important to realize that uh, that exposure is going to help you rise in an organization if, if that's where you want to get to. Absolutely. My next question for you is is going to come to an area we, we touched on a bit today, but that's content. And, and I'm curious what content gets you to click as a CMO. What is it that people are sending to you that gets you to lean in?
2: Uh, that's the problem because I'm a sucker of cold emails. I love a good cold email or a good content piece when I get it. Uh, and my team hates it because I forward to them all the time and like stop right. it. But you know what? I think the answer is very simple is when it is um, it is personalized and targeted for one for a burning problem that I have. That's it.
1: I like that. So let me let me use a follow up question on that. What does it mean to be personalized? I mean, we, we hear about personalized and often that means I know your name, but are the stakes higher than that for you?
2: Yes, uh, it's not about the name, and it's not about uh, you know someone read my uh, LinkedIn bio and <laughs> and said that I am a wannabe NBA player. It's not about that, right? It's about do that person or does that content really understand my business objectives and my marketing challenges? And if that content or person or SDR can really nail to that, then there is an there is an opening.
1: I love that. So simple. All right, so this is the toughest question I can ask you probably all day. Uh, and it combines all the various journeys that we're talking about, your career journey, the buyer journey, the journey of AppsFlyer. How do you balance all of that with making personal commitments for yourself, whether that's family, whether that's your own you know, health? How do you separate from the job? Uh, I, I didn't always do that. That's the honest, painful truth.
2: You know what? COVID really helped me Uh, understanding that life is very complex and there's a lot of very important elements into your life and you need to be able to balance all of them. And I haven't done a good job previously. I had two girls, uh, two babies coming in during COVID. so I'm a father of three and I learned a lot from that.
1: Amazing. That's, uh, that's maybe the best life lesson. I always tell people life didn't really start until you have kids, right?
2: You you know what? Nobody, it's, it's very Jewish of me to say that, uh, (laughs) when we're dead, nobody's gonna, you know, talk about your marketing skills or awesome campaigns that you ran at at This is what we, we take in life.
1: I love that. That's a great lesson and a great way for us to all remind ourselves to find that balance because, uh, You know, other than maybe them saying that you ran good events on your tombstone. uh, You know, they'll probably talk about your family. I I need a big tombstone. (laughs) Amazing, Ron. Thank you so much for finding time. For anyone who's tuned in and found time to listen to this, uh, I appreciate it. I hope you found this interesting. Keep in mind that every CMO's journey is unique. We've interviewed over about 130 now, different CMOs, and everyone's got a different path. Yours is probably taking one of its own. Hopefully one day you'll be on here to share it. Until next time though, thanks for tuning in.
0: You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts.